The following episode contains major plot points of movies. A spoiler warning is advised. This episode also contains topics that may be disturbing for some viewers, so viewer discretion is also advised. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Leah. How's it going? We are back from our little break. And to continue with our part two of our um, Nightmare on Elm Street... um, Franchise review? Yeah. Yeah. What she said. So in the first half, we cover movies one through five. And today we're going to cover part six, Wes Craven's new nightmare, Freddy vs. Jason. And we're going to touch up a little bit on the remake. Yeah. Because I am including those last two as part of the franchise. So. I'm not happy about the last movie, but it's whatever. I mean, I'm going to let her talk about that more than <clears> me, <throat> but yeah. Yeah. So do fun. you do what? you want to start off on the... Yeah, let's start on the off. first one. Yeah, so let's start off with Freddy's. Uh, Freddy's Dead, that came out. Um, do you have the date for that? So I know it was ninety one. A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Six: Freddy's Dead was released September thirteenth, nineteen ninety one. Had a runtime of an hour and forty five minutes. Was directed by Rachel Talala. Talale. Yeah, Talale. Uh, Talale. Yeah. It has an IMDb score of 1.9 out of 10. It stars Robert England, Lisa Zane, Sean Greenbolt, uh, Leslie Dean, and Brecken Myers. Mm-hmm. And the synopsis goes, Maggie, a therapist for troubled youths, is the long-lost daughter of child murderer Freddy Krueger, which I feel like that renders a spoil alert. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah. which we met her, the girl that played Maggie. Yeah. So, yeah. I just want to summarize this up because we we went so far in our relationship. We've been to two horror movie conventions. Yeah, the, well, practically, yeah, Scarecon, which it was one in Rome and the other one was here. One in Verona. Yeah. Not New York. Yeah, Verona, New York. I thought it was Rome, New York, but it is Verona. Okay. <clears throat> one in Verona, New York, and then one here in Rochester. Yeah, but the first one was so much better than the second one. I it thought. really was. And yeah. in that first one, we met Amanda Weiss, who was in the first movie. Yep, who she we was met a big sweetheart. Ken Sagos, who was in the third and fourth movie, and mm-hmm. then Lisa Zane, who was in the sixth movie. Yeah. And not only were they all like together, they all did a panel together, and they, they all talked out. about yeah. their experiences on Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Which is really cool. I was about to say, do you remember anything that she said about Freddy's dead when she was up on the booth or anything? Mm, not Probably, quite. Because I don't either. Mm-hmm. Man. But, I mean, it's whatever, though. I mean... But they all seem to, like, have similar experiences. Like, they all had a good time working on the yeah. set. They all got along with the, each other's, like, cast members. I think that's the important part. As long as you can get along with your <clears> cast <throat> members, I think the movie can go by smoothly. And it really judges how the movie does really go when you watch it. Because it feels like the people really had chemistry together. Yeah, and they all said that Robert Englund was, like, a really positive male like figure on set he was the life of the party i felt like for all those movies and that they all like i think to this day they all keep in touch you know and they like talk and stuff actually when i was at the (laughs) scaricon and i met amanda weiss it was kind of weird how i met her because um i was just going on the floor just like seeing all the fun advertisements merchandise toys stuff like that and i got myself a freddy krueger um gnome um a lawn gnome and I'm walking around with it and everything. And in the group of people, I know this sounds exaggerated, but it was kind of true. In the group of people, 
everyone parted and all I see in the middle of the people, everyone walking was Amanda White staring at me. And I'm looking, I'm like, why is she staring at me? She's staring at the lawn gnome. Yeah, but she stared at me and she looked down the lawn gnome and she came over to me. She was like, oh my God, is that a Freddy Krueger uh, cookie jar? I'm like, no, it's actually a lawn, a lawn gnome. And she's like, oh my God, can I take a picture of that? And so she took a picture of with uh, with the thing with me and stuff. Yeah, and then she said, yeah. I'm going to send it to Robert. And I'm like, Robert? You mean Robert England? She's like, yeah, we're still besties. I'm like, oh my god, really? And, she's, <laughs> and literally, I was thinking in my head, I'm like, that's fucking cool that Robert's still friends with like his co-stars. Mm-hmm. And the best part was, she she could talk to him on speed dial. She she had his number in her phone, and that part really like was like, oh my god. Yeah. I could have been this close to talk to Robert. I know. How cool would that be? I would really love to meet Robert England because he was always one of my favorites, especially when it comes to uh, method actors. And not only they did uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff, but he also was known for the show V, and he was also known for... That fam of the opera uh, take on uh, he kind of it was a Nightmare on Elm Street version of Phantom of the Opera. Okay. Have you ever seen it? I have the movie. I haven't, but I know he's been in other horror movies. It's a he guest starred. Movie. He guest starred on shows like Supernatural and uh-huh. Criminal Minds. Oh yeah. And he was in a movie called Urban Legend, mm-hmm. which yep. is interesting. Yeah, but I wish. But yeah. he, I, and the last thing he did do, he did portray as Freddy Krueger for one more time for the uh, sitcom The Connors, their Halloween special. Oh yeah. That's oh, not the Connors. No, I mean, Roseanne. No, the Goldbergs. Oh right, yeah, right. He did the Goldbergs. Yeah. Uh, this was like a couple years back, and he did that, and that was actually not bad. I mean, the makeup job and everything could have been better, but hey, it's it's you know it's. It's whatever. It's just a TV show. It's just a yeah. TV show. They're not going to go all 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 around with that. Right. Yeah. But anyway, so let us continue with Freddy's Dead. Yes. What was your take on it? I actually liked it better than four, four and five. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like it was a it was definitely a good makeup for those two. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it was still pretty comical and stuff. But I like the scenarios that they have for. Uh, for each of the killings, mm-hmm. and not only that, some of the cool special effects they had, and the storyline with the children being uh, at like a fostered orphanage or something for like teenager juveniles. Yeah. Yeah, and it was pretty cool. And um, I mean, it's probably not the like the best, like the first or third one, but I think it's still pretty much up there. It's it definitely surpasses uh, four and five. Yeah, for sure. But I like two better than than uh this one but i actually enjoy this one because this one had better laughs yeah i think the comedy was better in this one speaking of roseanne her and tom arnold were in this one yes they were and also another cameo appearance by the first um nightmare cast member johnny depp yeah he he has like a little moment in the movie where he shows up in one of the kids dreams as like a uh as a because at the time they used to do a lot of like drug uh, like anti-drug commercials Back in the day? Well, I think this was the point in time. It was probably this point in time when they started introducing the drug hypnosil. Yeah. Where, if you guys don't remember, we actually did... There was a questionnaire on this in one of our Trivial Pursuit episodes. But there was a drug that they create in this movie for patients to have dreamless sleep mm-hmm. called hypnosil. 
And I don't know if this is the movie that introduces it, but it was kind of interesting that they put Johnny Depp in this movie mm-hmm. as a little cameo, as a Say No to Drugs campaign commercial. Yeah. Even though it's like a mock one, but... Yeah, yeah, it's like this is your brain on drugs, and he cracks the egg into the um, in the in the pan, and that was always like the famous commercial at the time for yep. the anti-drug commercials. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, but I thought that was cool that he was such a big actor, and then he finally came back to this to make a nice little cameo. Yeah, it was a nice touch for Johnny to do that. Right. And uh, but I do like it, especially some of the. Uh, uh, I was trying to remember who were the younger actors at the time because I know one of them was in the movie Road Trip. Mm-hmm. And he was in that movie. I forgot what his name was. But he was in tons of other, like, wacky comedies after that. But, but no, um, this is actually a very good movie. I like what they were going into a little more of the story of um, finding out who Freddy's daughter is. Yeah. Because, yeah. because we, um, I don't know how to go about this, because it's been a while since I've seen this movie. But I know that there's a character named John Doe mm-hmm. who happens upon Springfield and is like wondering why am I here I have no memory of who I am I just know that I have to be here for some reason I'm looking for something yeah which I was weird too yeah and he was kind of led there by Freddy through his dreams but he has no recollection of like what this whole thing is about he thought he was the son to him and he was like yeah because no because through their kind of like journey with um was it Maggie and John Doe and some of the kids from the Troubled Youth Group, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of go into this investigation. They find out, like, Freddy Krueger had a child mm-hmm. and nobody knew about. So they're like, does this have? Does this new set of attacks have anything to do with this long-lost kid? And, and they, you know, come to, come to believe that possibly John Doe was Freddy Krueger's child. And there's actually a fun fact in here I'm just reading now. John Doe was supposed to be Jacob from the previous film, oh. uh, Alice's son. Oh. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> it was made vague when they couldn't secure the return of Lisa Wilcox, who played Alice in the last two films. Mm-hmm. In earlier versions of the script, Freddie absorbed the entire town of Springwood, Springwood, not Springfield, my bad, <laughs> into the dream world before moving on to the next town with the dream police chasing after him. Huh. That's a weird concept. Yeah. The dream police. police. What is this? A cheap trick song? Come is that on. something like, that Alice like sprung together after she, the events of like the terrible maybe fifth she, film? Maybe, maybe in that dream world they formed a um, a society where there's actually dream police where they stop people like Freddy. Mm-hmm. Which I wouldn't be surprised. That would be pretty funny. But uh, it's also the highest opening weekend for the franchise until the release of Freddy vs. Jason 2003. Ah, see, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, actually, didn't they say right there also this is like New Line Cinema's first attempt to have a 3D film? Uh, yes. New Line Cinema's first film in 3D. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Because it's funny that even at, in the 80s, they were going for 3D films and stuff. Like, you know, you have Jaws 3D, you had Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. But I'm glad that um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street did not do that in the 80s. Yeah. Because that would have been a huge failure for those guys. Right. So it's kind of cool. Maybe they did this now. They wanted to have this a chance to do it. You know, yeah. Before I mean, they didn't have any more chances. I mean, the whole thing in and of itself, though, is really like interesting mm-hmm. this one specifically actually you know which one was my favorite death scene 
What? Um, there's a kid named Carlos, I think. He's yes, like the, he's hearing impaired, and he wears he's a hearing. Deaf, yeah, he wears a hearing aid. Yeah, and <clears throat> he falls asleep, and Freddy kind of corners him into this boiler room dream, where he does something with his hearing aid and makes it really hypersensitive. Oh yeah, because he uses sound. scratches and stuff like that, and little pins that come. He does right something down. to his hearing aid to make his hearing super sensitive. Yeah, so a lot of like little subtle noises. Are, are excruciatingly painful for Carlos. Yeah, so when, like, the so, chalk scene, like, the board yeah. scene was, oh, my God. He scratches his claws on the chalkboard. He was, he was, hop, and he he was dr- humping the chalkboard. He was dropping pins yeah. on the steel. Like, that 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 was painful to watch. And then, like, you see his ear starts to swell up. Kind of like how my ear feels right now. Oh. It doesn't feel swollen. I mean, oh. it's not swollen. Okay. But it just feels it, like it hurts. Yeah, and then like he did it so much that his head popped, it like like bl- exploded. Yeah, which is crazy. I like that. That was cool. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the scene in Scanners when uh, the guy was oh, using yeah. his telepathic powers to uh, um, make the guy's face combust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was awesome. So it's kind of like that. It almost feels like a tribute to that. Yeah. But and uh, Freddy was still doing his whimsical little one-liners as usual, and mm-hmm. everyone appreciated <clears throat> and stuff. I think the jokes got better within this one. A little bit. Yeah, but also I was going to say two. Not only two two big things. One, they showed um, him Freddy who he was as a human before he turned into the Freddy that we know, mm-hmm. and then also. The deal that he made with like three creatures, like to like take his soul, and like kind of made him powerful. Remember, there was the um, it's in the film where they show him like in the burning factory, in the burning building, with all those people like you know throwing the things at him and stuff, and he made a deal with these three dream creatures. I do not remember that. Why do uh, you, I not remember I that say, scene? You got you got to watch it with me. It's it's pretty good. I yeah. like that. It, it was kind of cool how they did that. But I feel like there's different types of like lore of how Freddy became Freddy. Mm-hmm. I've noticed this with all the all the films. Like it's not all into like one story together. But yeah. Yeah, I found more. Well, more of the. Uh, John Doe's storyline mm-hmm. that didn't end up taking place. Um, a 16-year-old Jacob Johnson, the son that was born to Alice Johnson in the previous installment of Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, was a major draft or no, was a major character in the original script written for the movie by Michael Alam- Almerd I'm sorry if I can't pronounce the last names right. I do apologize. In this first draft of the film, Alice, now in her 30s, was killed by Freddy, Taryn, Joey, and Kincaid from A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 Dream Warriors also returned as the Dream Police. In the script, Taryn was the Blade Cop, Joey was the Sound Cop, and Kincaid was the Power Cop. Mm. Director Rachel Talale has stated that she greatly disliked this original script and the replacement script by Michael DeLuca, quote, saved the day. DeLuca also said that he was surprised he wasn't asked to write the screenplay in the first place as he had done a similar last-minute rewrite on Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Yeah. Whew. That is very odd. That's, yeah, it sounds intense. But anyway, yeah. I was going to say this, too. Um... 
Oh man, I I kind of wish because we were looking at the trivia, well the the fact stuff and Peter Jackson's uh, screenplay. Where like I didn't even know before that he had a, a screenplay for this, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty interesting. What he uh, what he had for it. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, is it on there still? Oh, uh, let me see. I thought you had it on your phone. I did, but I was looking at something else. But hold yeah, on. Peter Jackson's original screenplay for Freddy's Dead saw Freddy aging and growing weak within the dream world. The teens of Springwood would have drug-fueled slumber parties for kicks and enter the dream world to beat him up. Which would have been cool, I think. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think? What? Oh, with Peter Jackson's story? <clears throat> yeah. I would actually think that that would be really fucking interesting. I feel like that would be more of a comedy. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see where his... Because... Back in the day, before Peter Jackson did Lord of the Rings and King Kong, he literally had some fucked up, like, um, movies that he made. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, Bad Taste and stuff like that. But I feel like this would have been a good one, too. It, w- it would have been, like, a comedy, but I feel like there would have been that, that raunchy, dark Peter Jackson humor to it. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that horror he, ha- he had in his early stuff. Yeah. But it would still be pretty much of a comedy for Freddy. I would watch it. I, I think I would be interested to see what they would do. Yeah. But other than that, yeah. Um, anything else you want to mention before we go on? Uh, I don't really know. I mean, overall... Well, actually, I didn't even get to my review yet on this movie that I have oh. written down. Okay, I'm going to go on. <clears throat> there really isn't much I enjoyed about this movie. <sighs> Again, I felt like they were really reaching for a good plot to run with, but... It still sucked. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my general like view of it. I mean, yeah. when I when I do the blog post, I'll definitely give more reasons as to why I don't particularly like it. But I think overall, it was fine. It just wasn't strong enough to be a good sequel. Yeah. I mean, like most horror movie sequels, it's like we talked on the last part. Sometimes, sometimes it's very rare. Sometimes. For a horror movie sequel to be successful. So, I think in order to write a strong horror movie sequel, you don't have to reach too far out of the box. You know? Like, it's... You know, you hear that phrase, like, think outside of the box. Mm -hmm. You don't need to think that far outside of the box. Alright? Yeah. It's just... It's just one of those things I hate sometimes when people say, well, think outside of the box. How about you shut the fuck up and yeah. you go outside the box? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, why don't you think outside of a box and come up with better advice? Like, yeah. Like, we haven't all heard that phrase before. I get it. All right. Anything else you want to share? Um, no, not really. All right. But we can go off to the next one. And actually, I love this next one. This one I'm actually pretty excited to talk about. All right. So, the next movie that comes after this one is. Wes Craven's New Nightmares, released October 14th, 1994. Mm-hmm. It has a runtime of an hour and 54 minutes, directed by Wes Craven, and has an IMDb score of one of 6.5 out of 10. It stars Wes Craven, Robert Englund, Heather Langenkamp, Miko Hughes, and Tracy, I think, Mindendorf is her last name. Yeah. But Miko Hughes played Gage in the original Pet Cemetery movie. Mm-hmm. That is which true. Which I think is really interesting to mention. 
Exactly. And the synopsis goes, Reality and fantasy meet in unsettling ways. Film director Wes Craven plans to make another Nightmare on Elm Street movie with Heather Langenkamp and Robert Englund reprising their roles. Colin, go. (laughs) (laughs) Colin, go. (laughs) But no, um... No, I do. I do actually really, really like this one. I mean, the last mm-hmm. one I liked too, but this one mm-hmm. I liked for different reasons. I liked that they were going back to their more way darker tone, like kind of like the very first Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. And but this is more of like instead of fictional characters, this is like they're basing all their characters from the real actors and actresses in real life, and mm-hmm. see how in their perspective in a in the world of this was actually like Nightmare on Elm Street came to life. And I liked that idea. I thought that was a very cool concept. And Wes Craven hasn't done any of the films since the very first one. I, I really know that he did not want to be involved with the other ones either way. You know, he wanted to focus on other, other stuff. So I, yeah. thought, I thought it was really cool that he wanted to get back and to try to do this one more time. Yeah. And, and he had a great story and concept for this, too. It's definitely a better concept than most of the movies I've watched from this, you know, from this series. Yeah. And I think it was definitely innovative because not a lot of people ever came up with something like this in movies, especially in horror. Yeah. You know, so I like what they were trying to do with this and just kind of like as they were talking along and everything, the script was making its own self. Like, the script was basically given its own life because in mm-hmm. the end of the movie, you actually see in the computers or the script paper of all the talkings that they've been doing throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty cool. And you know what? It makes me want to watch it. <laughs> like, I want to watch it now. Well, it's, right now it's on HBO Max, right? Yes, it is. So you and can watch it when we're done with this. Yep. And the other Nightmare on Elm Street movies, I think, for the most part, are on there, too. Because mm-hmm. I know the very first Nightmare on Elm Street's on Netflix, too. So it's kind of cool that they're like, I don't know, for some reason they're putting them all on there right now for everyone to watch. Yeah. And I know, like, I personally have talked about meta-themed movies. Is this I'm, a meta theme? Yeah, because oh. in, in, a, in a sense, Heather Langenkamp is playing herself. Yeah. But her, her personal life is being skewed by the... Uh, horror she had to endure making the original Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Hmm. Or at least that's how it's written, you know, in the movie. Yeah, because I know in real life it's different from that. She didn't really have any bad experiences. Yeah, she may not have had bad experiences on set, but sometimes if an actor or actress is working on a movie that can be physically and emotionally enduring, mm-hmm. there is some trauma that comes with working on movies that extreme. And trust me, a lot and, of actors have I gone mean, through that. Look at Shelley Duvall when on The Shining. Like mm-hmm. she experienced extreme trauma and after that I don't think we ever saw her or anything ever again since that. And the same thing with John Brolin, um, Josh Brolin's his dad when he did the filming for Animeville Horror, he that was a lot for him to take and do in that movie. Mm-hmm. Emotionally and all the stuff that was actually going on because there was actually a lot of haunting incidents that happened off the set of that for him and that really kind of traumatized him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was the same thing with... uh, Who was the the same guy that was in the Conjuring movies who was the the husband? Patrick Wilson? Yeah, was he in in Insidious 2? Yes. Yes, because I remember he had some really... some messed up stuff talking about Offset and being on Insidious. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of these actors, especially whatever movies they've done, especially the more serious stuff, they go through some 
crazy shit, especially when they're like method acting or anything like that. Yeah, method acting I hear can be a pretty extreme, like an extreme acting tactic. Tactic. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. Because it, you know, when you when you take on a certain role, it like I said, it can be physically and emotionally taxing. Look at Heath Ledger when he played the Joker. In I was the Dark actually going to say that too. He and... went so hard into it that it it killed him. Same thing with it. Jim Carrey when he played Andy Kaufman on Man oh, on the Moon. Yeah. That shit like took him overboard. Yeah. Like they even did a documentary <laughs> of him behind the, behind the scenes of people going and filming him every day off set. And yeah. He was Andy Kaufman for the whole time. Yeah, and I think he even says sometimes that movie is what kind of turned him around from acting. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like Andy Kaufman was a real person, but he was a comedian. Yeah. And this happens with comedians too. Because they're people whose profession is to make people laugh and mm-hmm. be funny and tell jokes, you never really know the hardships that they go through off stage. And when they do, and you know, you find out all these things about them, like, you know, that it's like it's extreme. So, yeah. Well, I think with this movie, Heather Langenkamp's character and what she did for the movie, and especially mm-hmm. realistically, like playing the, her real life character, was really good. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like she definitely did a good job. I mean, I wouldn't say it's an Oscar-worthy performance, but I feel like it's definitely made it seem so realistic that you really did follow her emotions. Yeah. I think it's really good. I mean, and I'll give you my review. I do enjoy the concept of how horror movies affect the people who work behind the scenes. It also holds a more darker tone to it than the original. And it really makes a difference in Freddy's scariness. Because... Freddy, oh, yeah. Freddy is a lot more darker and menacing. Oh, yeah. His makeup than, job in this was pretty good, too. Yeah. It's, since the last three movies, mm-hmm. I think, personally, the, he's a lot more menacing and darker in this one. Yeah. Um, however, I still didn't find it that scary. Even when you take away the jokes and the clapbacks, it's still Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Like, it's still the Freddy that a lot of people, like, a lot of fans can recognize and say... Oh, hey, it's Freddy Krueger. He's my favorite, you know, horror movie villain. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's Freddy Krueger, the most comedic horror movie villain in the whole horror genre, you know, entertainment industry. It's like, I don't know. Again, th- he doesn't do it for me like Michael Myers does. Yeah. I I give this one a 5.5 out of 10. Yeah. Which I think is the highest I've ever given them one of these movies. Because I gave part six a two out of ten, which is low. Yeah. But no, but I definitely like this one too, and I give the definitely the credit acting credits to definitely John Saxon mm-hmm. and uh, Heather Langenkamp and even Gavin. Like he did such a great job. That little kid. You mean Miko Hughes? Oh wait, what's his character's name in the film? Gavin. I have no. You mean Gavin? Gavin is it? Gavin? I think I don't know. I don't know, but I I like Miko. <laughs> Or Nico? Miko? Miko Hughes. Miko, that's the actor's yes, name. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Miko. If you, if you ever hear this one day, please don't kill me. No, right. but uh, but no, Miko Hughes definitely did a great job. He always does, too, as a child actor. <clears throat> he mm-hmm. was great in Pet Cemetery, and he was great in Kindergarten Cop, and great in this. Yeah. So I definitely applaud his performance in this. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you want to move on to the next one? Yes. All right. Now we're going to go. Next movie the is. The Heavy Hitter. Freddy vs. Jason was released on August 13th, 2003. I was 10 when this movie came out. I was... 
14. Oh, you shut your mouth. Oh, my God. I know we're four years a, apart, yes. It has a runtime of an hour and 38 minutes, mm-hmm. directed by Ronnie Yu, and has an IMDb score of 5.7 out of 10. It stars Robert Englund, Monica Kina, Ken Kurzinger, who plays Jason, mm-hmm. Kelly Rowland from, I believe, Destiny's Child. Yep. This was and, after they broke up, too. And Jason Rudder, who I believe is the son of John Rudder. Yep, that is. Mm-hmm. And the synopsis goes, Two horror icons face off in these in this supernatural movie. Disfigured serial killer Freddy Krueger versus hockey-masked psychopath Jason Voorhees. So this was... Go ahead. Oh, okay. You go. Uh, you go. <laughs> like, you yeah. go ahead. All right, fine. I'll go. So this was basically the modern day version of the Wolfman versus Frankenstein. And for years, they always wanted actually these two to go head to head at each other. And there was actually a story that they were going to do. It was uh, Freddy versus Jason versus Ash from the Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. And they were actually going to make that into a thing. But they did make those into comics, I think. Into comic into comic books. But... I thought that it was pretty interesting that they really wanted to do this since um, Jason goes to hell the movie. Because in the end post credit scene, you see that um, Freddy made a little appearance appearance with his hat mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and him and had his little laugh. So basically that was like something to come. So that took about, what, like nine years just to finally let it happen finally. So, yeah. Yeah. Um... I think it's really good. Um, I've always enjoyed fantasizing this kind of scenario. I mean, I hope they make more movies like this, but Mm -hmm. as always with scenes from like both franchises, they have a lot of creative kill scenes. It is campy at times, um, but the acting was a bit stale and sometimes could be a little too silly for me. Um, But I didn't like how they wrote Jason back into the story. Yeah. You know? Because it's like, uh, how do I put it? Like, how do I remember watching this movie? You know he's never going to die. Like, seriously, he always comes back. I like the ending, though. Yeah. The ending was good. The ending was pretty cool when uh, Jason walked out of the water with him with his head cut off. Yeah, because... And he winks at the camera. Yeah, because I had figured, you know... Because the way I remember it is, Freddy is weak. He's not strong enough to kill people in their dreams yet, but he needs to refuel the rumor mill. Yeah. That Freddy is back. He is going to kill more kids in their sleep, but he doesn't know how to do that. So he resurrects Crystal, Camp Crystal Lake killer Jason Voorhees. But the problem is. Turns him loose onto Elm Street. But the problem is. Okay. Is that Jason keeps killing off kids, and and uh, and Freddy's getting mad right. that he's can't because he can't get the power because Freddy has to kill them in order for him to come back. Well, here's another thing too, and this go- this just goes to show how different both of these characters are. Because mm-hmm. Freddy brings Jason back in the hopes that him killing kids will. Give him the strength that he needs to be able to go out and kill kids in their sleep. But he can't. But once his strength has been rebuilt and he goes to kill the kid, Jason comes along and just cuts right to the chase. 
Yeah. Jason doesn't mind. care. I'm sorry, Lily. How I dare like, you? I moved my foot and hit her in the butt. Anyway. Nope. <laughs> what happened? What did you do to her? She went to hop up underneath your chair and she bumped her head. Oh, my baby. Honey. Anyway, go on. So... <laughs> See, the, the, again, this goes to show how different these two are. Because once Freddy finally has the opportunity to kill a teenager, mm-hmm. he really took his time to, like, fuck with her first. Yeah. He did the whole cat and mouse thing like he normally does. He builds mm-hmm. up to the kill. And then once he goes in... <gasps> don't pull on her collar. What are you doing? I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. You're Hi, choking her. What I are you doing? I wasn't trying to choke her. Um, My baby. I'm sorry. Anyway. Go on. Um, he does this cat and mouse thing all the time where he, like, works his way up to the kill. And then in that moment when he's right about to do it, Jason comes along and, again, beats him right to the chase. Because Jason doesn't dick around. Yeah. He doesn't dick around. He doesn't do this kind of, like, stupid shit where he's like, oh, I'm going to play with my food before I eat it. Yeah. No. He's like, I see an opportunity. He, I'm going to go in for a kill. He's a go-getter. He's the one who sees something and he gets it. Exactly. And Freddy is just a little, like, he's a teasing bitch. He <laughs> is a teasing bitch. That's why Freddy got so mad when Jason killed that girl in the cornfield. Mm-hmm. Took took his kill away from him. And he him. was like, no, that's mine. Like, she's mine. And yeah. I'm like, first of all, okay. you took your time. All right? Yeah. Like, get to the point, all right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then it's like, because of this, now Freddy has a problem. Now he's strong enough to kill people, but Jason's killing too many people. Yeah. And he can't have his fun because Jason's always taking it from him. Mm-hmm. So now he's got to find a way to get rid of Jason. Even if it means helping the teenagers he so desperately wants to kill... To, to aid them in defeating Jason. Huh. Wait, Freddy helps the kids, right? Yeah. Really? You remember? Okay, so there's a scene where they actually go to the uh, oh, yeah. mental hospital. Yes, that's right. And Freddy possesses that... The stoner kid. The stoner kid. Yeah. And, and he no- he drugs Jason yeah. with sleeping solutions mm-hmm. and knocks him out. Exactly. Okay, I do remember that. All right. But see, that just goes to show how completely different these two are. Again, I would, I would really love to see what other scenarios they can come up with movies like this. Can you, can you, can you imagine other horror movie oh, yeah. characters fighting each other? I wouldn't be surprised though. I could see like um, Pinhead going up against another like famous phenom or Pennywise. Know. Oh my god! Well, actually, oh. Can you imagine? I want Pinhead to, versus Pennywise. I want to see a universe of all Stephen King characters in one movie. But like, can you imagine every bad villainous or you know uh, character from a Stephen King film in one film? Mm-hmm. That would be nuts. Yeah. Oh my god. It's... Look at the baby. Oh, she's such a cutie. Yeah. Do do like that. We're taking turns holding Lily because she had a little whoopsie daisy. Yeah. Hi. Mm, stop you, giving her a mohawk. Wait, did you cut her hair? Because I feel like her hair is not like perfectly formed. She up. got another knot in her hair, and I oh. had to cut it out. <gasps> you cut the mohawk. No, I didn't. I just cut the knot out of her head. I wasn't going to be able to comb it. How dare you? Anyway. Anyway, go on. So. Um. But yeah, I thought it was a good movie. Um. 
this is the final film in which Robert Englund plays Freddy Krueger. And I gave this movie overall a 7 out of 10. Mm-hmm. What else did you like about the movie? Or what didn't you like about the movie? Uh, it was okay. I mean, it's definitely not my favorite favorite, but it's a good movie because it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. I think that's the part I like about this. Mm-hmm. It's very entertaining. I've, there was some <laughs> funny. There was some funny stuff. There was some great fight scenes between Freddy and Jason. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, I just kind of wish that Ash Williams from Evil Dead would have been involved in this, and mm-hmm. he would have like fought the two. That would have been awesome. You want to go back to Daddy? Yeah, I would have loved that. Only but like uh, the and, also, and all that, also that the kids were pretty good, and they went back to the old facility from uh, uh, from Dream Warriors. Did they really? Yeah, that facility those kids were at at that mm-hmm. uh, that asylum place. Yeah, that's the that's the same one from Dream Warriors. All right. Yeah, except this one in the Dream Warriors was a lot cleaner looking. Yeah. Yeah, technically. Yeah, this new one was a little more grungier looking, but then again, it was the eighties. What do you expect? Yeah. So yeah, but um. Anything else you want to touch on? No. All right. If if you ever wanted to see. Another scenario type movie like this one, which would you suggest? Um, all right, let's see, because there's already been Alien versus Predator. Yeah, there's been uh, Puppet Master versus the Demonic Toys, which mm-hmm. that fucking sucked. And uh, I would like to see. Let's see what else. Um, Chucky. I would like to see Chucky go ahead, go up against some creature or some shit. You know, or something. What kind of creature, though? What would you... I mean, we're looking at... Ooh, wait a minute. We're looking at our Funkos up here. I would like to see uh, Pumpkinhead go head-to-head against... Sam from Trick or Treat? No, that's his son. You leave them alone. How? You know what's funny? The Sam's Pumpkinhead... Uh, from Trick or Treat, I feel like that was a, like inspired by like, Pumpkinhead. Yeah, because right. that could be his child. Leave him alone. Well, here's my thing. Yeah, I would like to see Chucky versus Pumpkinhead. I see that. I would like to see Michael Myers go up against Ghostface. Oh, that or Michael Myers versus Chucky. No, well, maybe or maybe three of them: Ghostface versus uh, versus How Michael that... Myers versus Chucky. Because here's the thing. I can imagine a scenario where there's another ghost face copycat killer <laughs> striking somewhere. And it opens up the mass. It's Chucky. <laughs> yeah, like, like let's, say, <laughs> let's say there's a spree of ghost face killings in Haddonfield, Illinois, right? Mm-hmm. And it's getting close to Halloween. And Michael Myers shows up and he starts killing people. Mm-hmm. And then people start to mistake his slayings for the ghost face killings. And then the ghost face killer is watching all this happen like, but these aren't my killings. Yeah. Like, do I do I take credit for somebody else's work or yeah. what, what do I do? do kind of, I, he's kind of like shrugging his shoulders. He's like, what's going on? And, and if he were to take credit, would Michael Myers even care? No. Probably not. No, Michael Myers doesn't have a soul or even say anything. He doesn't really care. Or or would, would the fact that... He'd probably go after the person that killed his or, people. Or even better... What if, as like the, around the same time these copycat killings show up, people mm. suspect it's Michael Myers? But it isn't. It isn't. But this would drive the Ghostface Killer insane. Yeah. Because if anything, if there's one thing these Ghostface Killers have in common, they're vain. 
They are egotistical fuckers. Yeah. They want to take credit for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're like they're like typical serial and killers. And then you realize after all that, they find out who it actually is, and it's mm-hmm. Chucky. Nope. Because he can secretly... He's tiny. He can secretly kill people without people knowing. I know, but still... I just think that would be an interesting concept. Because look at what happened with Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Because Freddy, Freddy brought Jason back to life to spread the rumor that he was back. And it worked. But now that Jason's going off the rails, Freddy is not getting the kills that he needs... For, you know, his personal game. Mm-hmm. Same thing would happen in a scenario where Ghostface was killing people, but Michael Myers was also lurking around killing people. Yeah. And people assume that all of the killings are Michael Myers-based. That would piss him off, I would, I would imagine. Yeah. That would be an interesting concept. That would be. Yeah. So... That's just my little hot take on that scenario. Do you want to move on to the remake? Uh, I know you don't want to. I'll let you do most of the talking. All right. <clears throat> Here's our last one, folks. So, as we have mentioned previously in other episodes, a Nightmare on Elm Street remake was released April 30th, 2010. Had a runtime of an hour and 35 minutes, was directed by Samuel Bayer, and has an IMDb score of 5.2 out of 10. It stars Jackie Earl Haley... Katie Cassidy, Rooney Mara, Kyle Gallner, and Kellen Lutz. And the synopsis goes, teens Nancy, Quentin, Chris, and Jesse are all dreaming about a disfigured man with a tattered sweater and a glove made of knives. Mm-hmm. Now, I did, I think I mentioned my review last time, but I'm just going to, like, recap. This remake had more darker themes than the original. I think changing Freddy Krueger from a child murderer to a child molester gave the plot more grit. And having an earlier childhood like connection with the group of teens was much better than just having them like all their parents being part of this mob that killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think Kellen Lutz's character was necessary, nor did I think Rooney Mara was a good casting choice for Nancy, which... Looking back on what we had talked about in the um, Fun Facts Remake Edition, um, this is my thing. I didn't want to go too far into it last time, but now that I've thought more about it, I have a much better way of trying to better explain the situation. I understand that when, when, you, when you are an actor or an actress, whenever you take on a role... You are sometimes under contract. Like, you sign a contract, you are legally binding to be a part of this movie and see it through, even if you don't like it. However, I think that the people who really put a lot of work and effort into making this movie what it was, despite how people felt about it, it really takes a lot to do. And to be that way about the whole project itself is in some way a slap to the face of the people who actually wanted to work on this project and wanted to see it through. You know, like, I can understand if she had, like, a bad experience on set or behind the scenes with her co-stars 
but there there's not there's nothing in there to explain that just the fact that she hated being in this movie so much that she almost wanted to quit acting it's kind of i i mean if i worked on that movie for a year and all I had to show for it were bad reviews and one actress saying she almost quit acting altogether because of this movie. That's kind of an insult. I mean, I don't know. That's just how I was thinking about it. And, you know, I know we all don't agree when people remake horror movie remakes, but I thought this was a good one. And it took it into a direction that Wes Craven wanted to but didn't at the time. And I thought it was good. So, is there anything you want to chime in on? No? Honestly, no. I'm sorry. Okay. I don't mean to be that guy. I... But it's just, I've talked about here on the podcast about how I feel about this remake and in the past. And I just wasn't a big fan of it. I don't want to be... Um, what's that word? Um, you don't want to be what? I don't want to repeat what I've said before, why I hate it or don't really like it. It's, it hates a strong word, but I really, I'm not a big, big fan of the film. And it just kind of made me, this film kind of made me really not like remakes all that much, you know? And, I know. and I get that. I get people love remakes and people don't. And it's just... Some remakes are good. Some may, some things are meant to be, and some things are not meant to happen. And mm-hmm. I just honestly think, in my perspective, this movie should probably not have happened. But that's just how I feel. And if you had to say one good thing about it, though, <laughs> one good thing. Yeah, one good thing about this movie. Like, how'd you feel about the micro-naps thing? I don't know. The micro-naps? Um, yeah. I think the... All right. Maybe there was one thing I did like about it. Is the father to the son. He was... He was played by Tom Clancy, right? He Not Tom Clancy. That's like... That's a guy who wrote, like, war or like war books and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I might be wrong. Hang on. You, so you talk. I'll look him up. Yeah, the the guy who played he played in uh, he played Quentin's dad. Yeah, he played in Highlander. Uh, yeah, Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown. Okay. Yeah, he's played in Highlander. He's played in Pet Cemetery too. He's Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob. He was also in the Mortuary Collection on Shutter. Yeah, I love I, that movie. I feel like he's probably the only thing <laughs> I liked that had going on for Nightmare on Elm Street. Other than that, everything went to hell. There, I like the. I like the mention of micro-naps because that is a real-life phenomenon that people do experience when they go through sometimes days without sleep. Yeah. Because we've, we've probably all experienced what how our bodies react when you go without sleep or not getting enough sleep. Like, you can be... Your mood could be erratic. <laughs> your diet might change. You might feel a little off-balance. But over time... If you just stop sleeping altogether, you start to experience something called micro naps, mm-hmm. where you can be like awake, but then like your mind shifts into like a dream state. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're dreaming, but you're awake. Yeah, you know. And I like that because it kind of it kind of filters back and forth between what's real and what's a dream. 
Hmm. And because your dreams in this in this instance are what's life threatening to you, you gotta force yourself awake, and you're afraid to fall asleep. And when those kinds of things happen, it scares you because it's like I can't be asleep. I don't want to die. Like a survival tactic. Tactic. And I think it's really interesting. And there was another thing I was going to mention about this movie that I really liked. And I think we talked a little bit about it in one of the previous Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. Yeah. But the connection that they all have. Because it, it's it's discovered early on in the movie that at one point in time they had all attended the same preschool where mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger had worked as a gardener and groundskeeper. <laughs> and nobody, like made that connection up until that point and the parents kept that secret from them for a very long time yeah and then when um nancy's character starts looking into all the other classmates from her kindergarten class Mm -hmm. she finds out that all of them have died in mysterious ways in one way or another Hmm. yeah like she even finds um aaron Wu's. He's an. I think he's an actor. He's in. Yeah. He's. He too is in a lot of horror movie remakes. He was in Friday the Thirteenth, and a bunch of other stuff in the two thousands. But he makes like a video blog about his experience, where he's just like, I'm experiencing these weird dreams, and I don't know what they mean. And over time, you start to see his like his his story starts to progress, and he starts to get worse and worse. And he's like, I'm I'm dreaming with my eyes open. And there's, you know, this this person is trying to kill me. And, you know, I got scratched in my dream. And I woke up and I was bleeding from that same wound. And it's like, it's scaring him. And then, you know, you find out, like, he had died. And succumbed to, like, the dreamscape death. And it's just terrible to watch. But it's 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 fascinating, too, when you look at it that way. Yeah. So I, I like that concept. And I thought it was really cool. And... Again, it's a better, it's a much better connection than just our parents gang together, killed this man who was killing other kids, and now he's seeking revenge on us for that reason. Because hmm. <clears throat> keep in mind, too, in, during the events of the original movie, Nancy had no personal connection to Freddy whatsoever. True. And it is even, there was even a scene that was cut from the original movie where Nancy's mom tells her at one point in time she had an older sister who died at the hands of Freddy Krueger. And that's why her mom participated in the mob. Oh, wow. But it got cut. So technically, Nancy would have had no personal connection to Freddy Krueger whatsoever. Her mom had no reason to be a part of that mob in the original movie. Oh, wow. Just the fact that she was a parent who lived in that neighborhood... Where kids were being killed, and she wanted to put a stop to it. It's like, how, why? This this case makes more sense to me. Like, your child is going to preschool. And is coming home with... Bruises. Bruises and, and marks, and it's really, like, skittish and acting weird. And you come to find out they just experienced something horrific and traumatic. Yeah. And of course you want to do right by your kid. You want to make sure that nobody's going to try to hurt them again. So what do you do in this instance? You go after the man who hurt your kid and you rough him up. Only in this case, they burn him alive. Yeah. So in this instance, Freddy Krueger, who's a pedophile, 
is now targeting the kids who ratted him out to mm. their parents. That's not good. It's definitely not good. I mean, it's not good that he was doing this to them. But at the same time, that's his revenge. Yeah, I get so, that. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't condone it. But... You don't condone it. You don't like it. it. But me explaining it also probably doesn't make you like it even more. <laughs> yeah. Really doesn't. I'm not again. I'm not trying to force I, my opinion on you, but it's just, just this is know. this is me explaining why I like this remake. That's cool. No. You don't have to like it, and that's okay. And that's fine, and I respect that you like it. I mean, yeah. it's it's different that there's that one person in the crowd that always likes something that likes something that everyone doesn't. Yeah. But I like I don't like this for my own personal reasons, not because everyone else doesn't like this, but I know. I've seen the movie like the whole way through and I just was not happy with it. I was actually looking forward to it when it first first came out. And I was like, hmm, maybe I can give this movie a chance to see what I think. And I gave it a chance and it failed. Mm-hmm. So that's why and I, w- I wasn't a fan of this. And this was the same time when movies like Clash of the Titans and this and all these other remakes were coming out. And I was trying to like Clash of the Titans remake and I couldn't yeah. for the life of me. Because I was such a big um, Clash of the Titans fan growing up. Did I ever... I mean, I know we've explained what makes a horror movie remake a remake and why people choose to create remakes of movies. Did I ever... Let me, let me break it to you this way. Yes. Personally, personally, I watched all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, like from the very first original up until Freddy vs. Jason. Mm-hmm. I watched them all. Now, at the time I watched them, I was 16, so this was 2009. And at that point, I had already seen most horror movies that have been released during that time. Mm-hmm. Stop stealing my M&M's. Stop stealing my M&M's. Go on. So I had already seen movies that had been released and produced since then. Mm -hmm. And they're all in their own right pretty good. So watching a movie that was made in the 80s and 90s felt a little campy. Felt pretty outdated. Like I didn't didn't, um, admire it as much as diehard fans who watched it in the 80s and the 90s when it's first released like they appreciate it more because in that time that was like the scariest thing they've ever seen that was more accepting for them yeah yeah and over time of course is more yeah because they never seen stuff like that before yeah so seeing what like the first nightmare on elm street it blew everyone's mind right but as someone like me who has already seen like other movies, like I've seen Halloween, I've seen Friday the 13th, the original and the remake, I've seen Child's Play, I've seen Bride of Chucky, I've seen, you know, all these other horror movies that have been released since the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and I thought those were just as scary as the last one. So watching them as a teenager in 2009, mm-hmm. I felt it was pretty outdated. But then again, that was my opinion. So you got to look at it this way. When people make horror movie remakes, they're not making it for the diehard fans. They're making it for a whole new generation of audiences who have already seen movies that have been released since the 1984 original. Yeah. That, like, people, like, kids nowadays are watching movies like 
Ouija and Insidious and Ugh. the Conjuring movies, and they think those movies are terrifying. I can't watch them. You can't watch them, but that's they're, again, that's your opinion. They're but, awful. But but younger audiences who have seen these movies come out and think no. that they're all terrifying, that's what's going to terrify them. So you gotta make a movie that's gonna terrify newer audiences. If you remake it in a way that appeals to them, then great, you've made a successful remake. That doesn't mean the diehard fans or the original fans are going to like it, mm-hmm. but at least you've appealed to a younger audience who might appreciate it. You know, that that's just my way of looking at it. And you know, and that's a good way to look at things. At least, you know, you're accepting things that, you know, you think it's good or not good. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not totally... I mean, I know it sounds like I'm totally shitting all over the franchise. I do appreciate the original for what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's time... I am for certain it was a really good, successful horror movie. I've seen and proven in all these reports that I've shown how successful its release was and how big of an impact it's made on the horror movie franchise as a whole. And plus it's made millions of dollars, especially for New Line Cinema. Like, they're a big, huge uh, movie company because of that. Right. That, like I said, I'm giving credit to where it's due. Mm-hmm. I just think that all the sequels that came after that were a bit unnecessary. You just weren't a big fan of it, and I get that. It's Again, it's not my favorite franchise, mm-hmm. but I can appreciate it for what it is. It's a huge staple in the horror movie genre, and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, then again, that's just me. I get that. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't blame you for it. Yeah. So, yeah, um... I was about to say, yeah, anything else, or is that good for you? Oh, I, well, I think that, I mean, personal rating for the remake, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Which I'm surprised. I thought you'd give it a 10 out of 10. I mean, I will admit that there are some issues. Like, the CGI yes. makeup for Freddy Krueger looked terrible. I, that's what made me not like it, because <clears throat> when you see his face, it looks like sandpaper took a shit on something. Yeah, and I think, <sighs> and I think too, Jackie Earl Haley's performance was, again, really good. And and you gotta think of it this way. Com- compare compare to the person that he portrays as Freddy Krueger as the dreamscaping monster compared to the Freddy Krueger he played in the flashback sequences from when he was a live person mm-hmm. working with children. Because he seemed like a very loving and kind person. Yeah. But once you figure it out, like, okay, for, here's a good example to compare to. The new Jimmy Seville docuseries has been released on Netflix. Oh, oh God. No, think about it. (laughs) Jimmy Seville was a huge TV personality in Britain during the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Oh, yeah. And he did all of these good things for people. He did, he raised, like, charity events. He did fundraisers. He brought causes and awarenesses to foundations he was a philanthropist he even had his own show where he made people's dreams come true kids from like as young as five to like adults in their 50s and he was like and by all accounts people who admired him as fans all thought he was a really kind person but then you find out what he was really going on behind his doors and then people turned and now we don't really get to like we don't know much about him as the monster that he really was, but we have all of these videos that show who he was 
when he was alive and doing all these great things. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we see here in Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Yeah. I mean, we get a glimpse of the kind of person he was when he was alive. Mm-hmm. It's a complete change when he's a killer in the dream world. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's a it's a good acting performance. I really admire it. Well, I applaud him. Applaud, applaud. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my final thought. All right, cool. <clears throat> well, that I think that, con- continu- uh, that concludes our... Uh, part two for the um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street review. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, if you want to listen to us, go check us on. So you can listen to your podcast. Well, you can listen to our podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Yeah, any podcast channel. And you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, check out our website again. There's more blog posts mm-hmm. up there for you guys to read. And I think. What kind of franchise do you want to do a review on next week? Um, <clears throat> me? I, I don't know. We haven't done Halloween yet. Yeah, or know. or do you want to save that for our anniversary? Save that for the anniversary. Let's <clears throat> let's wait a while to do um, like franchise reviews. It makes sense. Well, I want to continue to do stuff like this so that way we have more of a discussion. I know. I'm thinking in the summertime, let's do a uh, 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 sleepaway camp. Uh, uh, franchise review. Ooh, well, right now we're I would in like April. To do that. Mm. I mean, we're we're recording this in April. I think as we go into summer, but I think as we go into summer, we should do Friday the Thirteenth. Yay! That's a great idea. Oh, shut up! I know <laughs> you're being a turd because I did I stomped all over your sleepaway camp, but we have other plans for sleepaway camp. All right, fine. Yeah, so I think as we, because this episode's being released on March 1st, or not March, May 1st, mm-hmm. so in the coming weeks, we'll probably start to do more um, Friday the 13th, and then that will transition into, like, summer, yeah. and then we'll come up with other conversation topics to discuss. Okay. But yeah. That sounds fun. I think this was fun, though. Yeah, I had a good time doing this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Is there anything you want to say? Not really, other than... So this has been an episode of the Abby Normal Podcast. What are you doing? <laughs> I am your host, Aaliyah. And I am your host, Colin. Signing off saying to Colin, don't forget that next week is Mother's Day. <sighs> and that you should get your mom something for once this year. I am! <sighs> As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.